0: So tonight we will be in the book of Galatians, so we'll be in chapter 1, looking at the first five verses. This is uh, it's a, essentially the uh, greeting section of the letter that Paul wrote, has written to the Galatian churches. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, I'll bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That ends the reading of God's holy word. So whenever we meet someone for the first time, uh, we all will make an introduction. It'd be weird if you didn't, right? If you just started talking to them like you knew them, uh, they'd be like, who are you? You know, they'd have to backtrack. It doesn't work. You have to introduce yourself. And we tell people at the very basics, usually our name and, and where we're from. If conversation and curiosity persist, we might uh, share what we do for our work, uh, what we do for our labor, who our family is, or even our hobbies. Um, just don't show them pictures from your vacation right away. That's, that's a quick way to just no, no friends after that. Uh, but this is the information that we, when we make our introductions, when we tell people these the, these bits about us, this is the information that we put forward. That's saying, like, here is what I think you need to know about me, right? And and we tailor that information depending on who we're speaking to and what context we're in. If it's someone we met while we were waiting in line at the grocery store, or uh, a new coworker, or a new neighbor. Our introductions are going to be slightly varied and different in what we're going to emphasize and talk about. But sometimes circumstances require us to make introductions again, to reintroduce ourselves or to be reintroduced to someone or something. Vince Lombardi, the famous uh, football coach, after a devastating loss, uh, famously uh, held up a football uh, before his men and said, gentlemen... This is a football, right? We're going back to basics. Let me reintroduce you to this thing you thought you knew because apparently we didn't, and so we need to go back. Well, uh, well, Galatians is effectively Paul doing a Vince Lombardi, going to the Galatian churches and saying, gentlemen, this is the gospel, and we've lost it, and we need to recover it. There are times when we need to be reintroduced to the basics of the faith. Times where we have been so deceived by false teaching and sin. We have been distracted by affliction and suffering. We have been despairing because of pain and grief, and we have lost sight of the basic truths of the faith. Sometimes we just get stuck in the bog or in the busyness of our lives, and we lose sight of it. This is the situation in which we find the churches of Galatia. They have, been, they have turned away from the truth of the gospel and they have forgotten it. And Paul has written this letter to call them back to the narrow path. And it begins with two introductions. First, he introduces himself again to the churches. He is Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, he introduces the church, to itself and reminds them of who they are. And so we will look at each of those tonight. And first, in verses 1 and 2, we consider who Paul is. And particularly in this situation, what Paul wants to make clear is that he is an apostle. That's where he begins. He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word apostle uh, comes from the Greek verb to send. It literally means sent one. And now Paul certainly was sent out by the church at Antioch on his missionary journey, Uh, but they are not the ones who made Paul an apostle. They made him a missionary. They didn't make him an apostle. To be an apostle is also not the same thing as being an elder in the church. In Peter's first letter in chapter 5, he states that he is both an apostle and a fellow elder. He shares his eldership With the other elders across the churches, he shares that office and that calling as a shepherd of the sheep. But he does not share his apostleship with them. He does not say, "And to my fellow apostle, my fellow elders, or my fellow apostles in every church," because not every church had apostles. He is he is only a fellow apostle with twelve other men. But to be an apostle fundamentally is to be one who is sent out. That means an apostle is one who goes by the authority of another with a mission given to them by another, by authority, an authority greater than themselves. He is, Paul is then not his own man. And neither was he made an apostle by men. And that's what he, w- he wants to make very clear right at the outset, which, when you stop and you think about it, is a little weird, uh, a, bit, a way to uh, start the letter, right? Paul, an apostle, not by men, right? He makes clear. And you're like, okay, but now you find out why he says that later. He goes through a whole section about it that we'll get into. Uh, but he is making sure, making clear right at the outset that his apostleship is not from men nor through men. That is, true apostleship does not find its source in men, nor is a man made by an apostle through the agency or the actions of men. Now, there are fake apostles, fraudulent apostles, aplenty today, who are made by men. They are made by themselves as apostles. And they are affirmed and confirmed by the sycophants around them who hope to glean off of their grift. They say, I've been made apostle because I had a vision from the Lord. And he said, you are now my apostle. Wouldn't you know it? He said, being an apostle, I get to be rich. And I get to be rich because you give me money. Right? Like, uh, but, you know, but pray for my burden because, you know, the gold is really heavy that I'm carrying. Their reward of destruction and damnation is well earned unless they repent. But the Roman Catholic Church also appoints men after the authority of Peter the Apostle and descended down through the office of the Pope. But there is nothing biblical we know about white smoke flowing from chimneys, right? Right? But we also might dare to say that many men today appoint themselves to the authority of apostles, even though they don't call themselves apostles. Or they do, or, or they do so by demeaning the apostles as mere men with no special calling upon them, that they're just witnesses, observers of, of things that happened in their own time uh, and, and to maybe to some vague notion of the truth and how they see it. And and you know, these people would argue that and, and we're witnesses uh, like that as well. And, and, and so we, are, are, we have just as much authority as they did. And so if we want to disagree with Paul or Peter or James, well, the, you know, are, are, we're free to do so. It actually, the kind of modern attitude towards apostleship smacks of the sons of Korah. and What they did to Moses and Aaron when they said, basically, are we not priests? Did we not see all the same stuff that you did? Did we not, did we not hear the, the voice from the mountain? Or, are we not just as special as you, Moses? Is not, not, is not Israel a kingdom of priests? Are, so? We, 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 get to do, we get to be you now. We get to do what you. We're, we're going to go be the prophet. We're going to go be the high priest. And so it is when people say, Are we not also the children of God with a calling from God? And are we not as equal to the apostles or even greater because we live today and they lived so long ago? Or even worse, the the apostles were just men and we are thus free to dismiss them as we will. But Paul knew what it was like to be a man sent by men. He had been sent by men on a mission to make war against the church. He had been sent by men to Damascus, but he was not an apostle on the road, even though he had the training of scholars and the religious zeal of zealots, the moral righteousness of the greatest Pharisee. On the Damascus road, he was a man sent by men, and then he met the Lord, and he became an apostle sent by God. And that is, and that is what Paul wants to stress here. He, he is not an apostle made by a man-made apostle. He is an apostle called to his apostleship by the Lord himself. And Paul's going to go into a lengthy defense of his apostleship in this letter, so I'm not going to go into that right now. But he's absolutely clear right here that he is an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father, thus not through men. But his apostleship is divine, coming directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's doubly divine because Paul says it also comes from God the Father. And, and so it's not merely that Jesus Christ himself sends Paul out into the world to proclaim his name among the nations, but it is also God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead who sends Paul out. Because apostleship is different from any, anything else in any other office in the church. To be an apostle is to be one of the 13 men who not only saw personally the risen Christ, but who also received a personal commission as an apostle, specifically, from Jesus himself. There are no promises of successions of apostles or or continuations of the apostolic office. In his commentary... On this uh, passage, John Stott, the great British pastor and commentator, argues that Paul presents here in this, uh, in this, in this whole section, these five verses, the three stages of divine action for our salvation. That he presents here, first, the, the, uh, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then second, the sending out of apostles by the risen Savior to proclaim the good news to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And then third, uh, the third, uh, the third is the churches, the people who believe that message, and the churches that form and are built up, as he describes in verses three through five. And so we have this picture of this this fold, and Paul is one part of that plan. He's one part of that process, but he is a part of. He's only one of thirteen men who had this office. Now, we do have, we can say that the church uh, is apostolic. All right, we can say that Um, we can we can and we have the apostolic authority in the scriptures. We have the apostolic authority that is given to the church through the commission of the church. But there are no apostles living apostles in the church. There are no pastors who can call themselves rightly apostles. So we want to be uh, very clear about that. And so Paul is clear about who he is. He's reintroducing himself to the church. But he also is reintroducing the church to itself in verses 3 through 5. We find out very quickly in this letter that the church has forgotten itself. But Paul addresses the church um, as she is in the eyes of God, not as, as the churches of Galatia perceive themselves to be. And praise God for that. In these, in, in, in these three verses, uh, we find actually a rather efficient summary of the gospel itself because the church, we find out, is the receiver of divine grace in verse 3. When Paul says, you know, to, to the churches of Galatia, he may as well be saying something like, to the churches of Mississippi. That's effectively the kind of thing he's saying. Um, that's, that's the kind of geographic uh, language that he's using. And so, the un- and, the, and so the underlying assumption here is one that uh, it's easy to pass by, especially by American Christians, uh, because it's that collective nature of the church. Because the church is a, a collection of individuals. We got the individual part, right? Because we're Americans and we're all hyped up on our individualism. And there's, some, there's benefits to that. But not at the expense of of losing the collective nature of the church, because the church here is addressed as many churches but one body. And the book of Galatians cannot be rightly read or applied to the church, um, to the church if it's only understood in individualistic terms. Uh, the church. Is applied pers- that, that What we, what we learn from Paul here needs to be applied personally, but it's applied to the church as a whole as we, as, we, as we help one another, as we love one another, as we correct one another, as we comfort one another. And so as we read, we must apply Paul's words here not merely to ourselves, but actually to our church right here in Bailey, Mississippi, Bailey Presbyterian Church, Uh, What does Paul have to say, not just to you and I tonight, but to our church? Paul declares here uh, a standard Jewish greeting of of peace, as Jesus did to his disciples. We talked about this morning. We said, peace to you. Well, Paul says, grace and peace to you. Uh, And and now, for uh, this, and what we see here is effectively this Jewish greeting has been converted, been transformed into a Christian greeting. But we ask, why is such a greeting warranted? Um, So It's easily dismissed. Oh, grace and peace. Okay, well, let's get to the good stuff, right? Well, grace and peace because what the church needs above all is grace and peace. We need grace and peace because of the darkness of this world, because of the travails of our souls, because of the sufferings of the body, the doubts of the heart, the temptations of the flesh. We need grace and peace constantly. Further, Paul is clear on where this grace and peace come from. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, unmerited favor and complete wholeness must come I mean, those are fantastic things. But if someone's going to give them or grant them, they must come from an authority that can grant those things and one who has the ability to affect those things. And now I would submit to you that the first and second persons of the Trinity are sufficient to those tasks. Not merely in their potential for action, But for what they have actually done in the history of redemption. What the Father has planned. What the Son has carried forth. What the Spirit is applying. We long for grace and peace in the world. But it sounds like such a sweet sentiment. Like when I was in the 90s and peace in the Middle East, right? All right? Sweet sentiment. How naive. And we dismiss it. But is not grace and peace the two things that our souls burn for? You know, I wonder why when I was 27 and I'm sitting across from a counselor and he tells me, Eric, you're a good man. And I break down and weep. Why is contentment so elusive for men and women as we get older? J.C. Ryle, he said, it's, he said the two hardest things to find in the world is a humble young man and a content old one. Is the favor of God not the thing for which so much effort is given? Is peace not the elusive pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that people are desperately searching for in the places of sin? Here it is. Grace and peace. We, f- we found its source. We found where it comes from. We found where, how we might possess it. Grace and peace from God. It's not for everybody everywhere, but for the church. Not because we're good, not because we're special, but because the church is a rescued and redeemed people. You are not a member of the true church unless you are one who has been rescued from eternal and just damnation in hell for the guilt of your sin by the one who gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The people of God can be and not be many things in terms of our race, our country, uh, our economic status, being rich, middle class or poor, male or female, but we are all, all of us bought by the blood of Jesus. Christianity has always been a rescue religion and we are the rescues we are the ones being saved and redeemed here in this in the in verse 4 is what martin luther called thunderclaps of heaven against all kinds of human righteousness there's never been a christian a man or woman of god no old testament saint Who was saved by their own righteousness, by their fastidiousness, their keeping of the law. There's been not one member of the people of God who was not saved by the blood of the lamb. They're either saved by the sacrifices that pointed to the great lamb of God. Or they're saved by the lamb of God when he came into the world and died on a cross. There is no salvation apart from Jesus in any name under heaven. We cannot be saved apart from his name. But Paul's purpose here is to remind us that the church, that it is to remind us as the church that Christ has indeed died for our sins, that he has cleansed us of our unrighteousness to bring us to himself, to bring us to his Father. Jesus has secured grace and peace for us by his blood, and it will never be undone by anyone. Just as there are no man-made apostles, there are no man-made Christians. There are no self-made Christians. Recall from last week that the major issue that Paul is pushing back against in the church is the idea that faith in Jesus plus a series of particular works that abide by the Old Covenant law are necessary for salvation, to be saved from sin. But we are not delivered from sin by our own righteousness. We are are not loved by God because we loved Him first. Rather, He loved us, as John says. He loved us first in His blessed Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and then was raised from the dead for our life, our eternal life. And then He sent the Apostle Paul to tell us about it. And this leads us to the final thing that Paul is reminding the church. First, that the church is the receiver of divine grace always and completely. So, and this is because the church is a redeemed and rescued people. And finally, the church is a gloriously hopeful people. And this is uh, the second part of verse 4 through verse 5. Because we may ask the, well ask the question, why are we a hopeful people? It's very easy to look around um, and to see a whole host of reasons to be discouraged. You know, are we hopeful because we believe that time heals all wounds? Are we hopeful because we know that we're tough and rugged, right? Are we hopeful because we're going to persevere and we're not going to give up? We are hopeful because the purpose of Jesus in dying for our sins, Paul tells us, was not merely to secure for us some momentary benefit, but to deliver us ultimately, completely, from the present evil age. This age in which we live is marked with sin and death. It is marked also with the curse and wrath of God for that sin. But Christ in his person and work delivers his church from it all. You know, One of the great questions that everyone must answer is, how do we escape a world with so much suffering and evil in it? Even the atheist has to answer that question. And the atheist answer is, well, you, you, you don't. You just suffer as best you can and try to make the best of it, I guess. The agnostic shrugs his shoulders and just blindly hopes for the best. But the good news of Christ says that the new age, the age to come, has already begun to break into the world. And we are part of it through faith in Jesus, even while we yet live in the present evil age. One day, the present evil age will be brought to an end. And all that will be is the age to come. The glorious fullness of the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. But there are those who come into the church and declare that access to that age to come, to access to those glorious promises, must be procured not only by faith in Jesus. Sure, that, 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 that's, that, that's, that's to be sure. But, but you also got to add to that the law. You got to add to that the rules. You also got to add to that the keeping of the old covenant law. Or, or yeah, we don't do the old covenant law. I, I made up some law for you here. Here's my law. Follow my law. That Paul is clear that the access of the glories to come comes only in and through Jesus Christ and only by faith and not by works. All of this, he says, is according to the will, not merely of God the Father, but he says of our God and our Father. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, it is because He wanted you to. And He smiles upon you as His child. Thus, Paul says, God is worthy of glory forever and ever. Certainly, He is worthy because of the qualities of His being. But Paul is asserting that glory is even more deserving because of what God has done for His church. how good it is that Paul here at the very opening of his letter addresses the churches in Galatia, addresses the churches in Mississippi, addresses our church, not in how we think of ourselves, but in how God sees us, and how God addresses us, and who we truly are in Christ. How good it is that God reminds us of who we are as the church because we are so prone to forget, to wander and doubt. But here we are reminded. Through the authoritative and unique testimony of Paul the Apostle, not only of who he is as the one sent by God through the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel in power and truth to to the Gentile world, But we are reminded not only of who Paul is and the authority of the gospel that saves us, but we are reminded of who we are. As those rescued together as the church, rescued from sin, rescued from death by Jesus Christ, that we are in fact children of the living God and heirs of the eternal kingdom that is coming into the world, the receivers of of the grace and peace that comes not from men who cannot give it, who, who, that comes not through men because they are not able, but the grace and peace that comes through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do bless us and give us grace and peace. And Lord, we pray that you would... Give us grace and peace tonight. That you would remind us of who Paul is. That you would strengthen our faith in the words of the Scriptures. That we would take those precious promises to heart. That they would correct us where we have gone astray. That they would lead us in truth to your truth. And Lord, may you remind us of who we are. That we are not a people who are commended before you by our deeds and our words and our hearts and thoughts. We are condemned by such things. But that we are a people who are redeemed and beloved and blessed, accepted, and even our works are accepted and rewarded all because of Jesus, because of his death, his resurrection and all by faith alone and not of works, lest any one of us should boast. Father, may we go from here tonight boasting not in ourselves, but in the cross of Christ. Boasting in our good and glorious and generous Father who showers love and goodness and salvation upon His children that others may hear And see that they may too come taste and see that the Lord is good and join us in our praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well let's stand now.